church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we go through these scriptures this morning. There is something about the word submit that our sinful flesh does not like because there's nobody in this room in and of our sinful selves that likes the idea of submitting to anything, whether it be to God or whether it be to other people. We want our own way right away, right now. That's how sinners are. Father, I pray that you would kill those attitudes that may even be flaring up within us uh, this week and, and, and next week as we meditate upon these verses, because this, this whole thing is not about us. Marriage is not ultimately about us. It's about God. It's about picturing something about God that's far more significant than us. So, Father, I pray that you would help us this morning not just to understand what the Word of God says, but to believe the Word of God and to love the Word of God. Help us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, if I was coming up to you to give you, um, well, a gift of money, um, which would you want? This dollar bill or these four quarters? Both. Carol, that's not an option. Okay. Which would you want? The four quarters or the dollar bill? Does it make a difference? Okay. Are four quarters and dollar bill the same thing? Okay. It's not a trick question. Are they the same? Well, then I... Identically the same, but they are of equal value. Of course, the four quarters is four coins, and the dollar bill here is, is a piece of paper. But they are the, of the same value, but they are, are different, right? Very different. Um, you'll use the, maybe you could use the four quarters in a different way than you'd use the um, dollar bill. Yesterday we were at a place where McKay was having her last soccer game of her season, and there were games there, and the kids kept coming and asking for, for quarters. They wanted the quarters for that, uh, to be able to play the different games. But the four quarters, obviously, is equal to the value of the dollar, but they're also different. And so I just use that illustration to help the kids get us started this morning as we get into this text today. 
we all know, obviously, there are big differences between men and women. There are big differences between husbands and wives. Uh, books have been written. Uh, men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Books have been written. Uh, there's um, talk shows about this. There's articles about this. There's men and women who've spent their lives dedicated to examining the differences between men and women. There are those who have tried to get rid of the differences between men and women. I think if we're honest, we can obviously think of a lot of different ways that that men and women, and especially husbands or wives, are are very different from one another. Okay? Um, I I praise God that I'm, I'm married to a wife who does not enjoy shopping, but many women do, and most men don't. When I go shopping, I have this really weird fatigue, I think, that just sort of overwhelms me, and I have to find a place to sit down. It's just, it doesn't matter. As soon as I walk into the mall, I'm not kidding. I have this physical fatigue just sort of overwhelms me, and I'm just like, I start yawning. I'm like, I've got to find a place to sit down. I just don't enjoy it at all. Now, like I said, I just, it's one of the things I'm thankful for. There's many things I'm thankful for to the Lord about my wife. But one of the things is that she's not a shopper either. So I, I praise the Lord that that difference doesn't come into play very much. But there's lots of other differences. Obviously, women are much more emotional and need to be able to talk about things and need to be able to cry about things. And, and us men, you know, a wife could be sharing with us something that's just going on in the home and in the family that's just tearing her up and we are so unaffected emotionally. We're just like blank walls. But then when we're watching our football team and Romo throws an interception in the fourth quarter, we begin to get weepy and upset. See, men and women are different. We get emotional about different things, don't we? And of course, we know there are major differences between husbands and wives. But this passage here takes us to the most profound, most important difference that there is between husbands and wives, and that is the difference between their divinely given roles. Now, this text today, as we've already mentioned, is controversial. It's countercultural. I heard this week one egalitarian theologian, or I read this week that one egalitarian theologian calls this text obscene. So there are some out there, even some who claim to be Christians, who would look at this passage of Scripture. I can't believe anybody would be so bold enough to call any passage of Scripture obscene. But there are some who would look at this passage of Scripture today and call it obscene, outdated, um, archaic. It's also counterintuitive because we are sinners. God created us to carry out roles within our marriages, yet we are all sinners fallen short of the glory of God, and the fall messed up our ability to carry out our roles. The fall didn't create these different roles, but the fall did distort them and ruin our ability to keep these roles the way God intends for us to. So it's counterintuitive to us as sinners, it's countercultural, and I believe if we're honest, it's very, very convicting. Maybe you're not convicted by this text, I don't know. But to me, it's very, very convicting. Uh, to be honest with you, I dreaded coming to this part of Ephesians. I'm like, oh, because honestly, I am terribly convicted by this text. I am terribly convicted by this passage of Scripture because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think if there's any way in my life that I struggle and I feel uh, inadequate as a pastor to be able to stand up here and preach to you guys, it's because I don't feel like I am a, a, a 
as good of a husband as I need to be. I know I'm not. I know I'm not what God calls me to be here. And I feel totally, totally inadequate so many times. And so this text has so much weight. I was trembling before we even got up here this morning because I believe this text has a lot of weight for wives in their role of submission, but also for husbands. And it should drive us to repentance, and it should drive us to Christ alone for our help. Now, before we get into this text and we begin to talk about the dreaded S-word, submit, and begin to talk about headship and, and what those entail, I want to recap a little bit where we, where we started off last week because last week was essential to establish the foundation of what a marriage relationship is supposed to be doing, and that is it's supposed to be pointing to something much greater. You remember last week we started off in verses 31 and 32. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is the foundational truth of this text. Without understanding what marriage is all about, we won't get what husbands and wives are to be about. We won't understand why we're supposed to do these different roles. None of us will if we don't get the foundational truth of what marriage points to. So I asked a couple of questions last week. First of all, I simply asked, how can we have marriages that line up with the Word of God? And the answer to that question was that marriages that are in line with the Word of God are the work of the Spirit of God designed to promote the glory of the Son of God. And I did that to remind us that this is part of another, this is part of verses 18 through 21. It's connected to that text that talks about, if you'll recall, it, that, that, all, that whole section talks about um, uh, being spirit-filled Christians. Remember, there's this walk of wisdom that we've been called to by Paul. And part of that walk of wisdom is to be filled with the Spirit. And part of that being filled with the Spirit is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this, part of, this is part of being a spirit-filled Christian. Is if we're spirit-filled husbands, if we're spirit-filled wives, then we will be people who point to Christ so there's mutual submission that plays out in a marriage, in spirit-filled marriages, and those, that mutual submission that plays out in marriage magnifies the Son. And so the second question I asked last week was, how does marriage most fully promote the glory of the Son of God? And the answer to that question was that marriage can only promote the glory of the Son of God to the extent that we understand that God's eternal purpose for marriage was for it to image forth and exhibit the union between the Son and and the church. And that's the most important truth in this passage. That the marriage relationship that God established in Genesis 2, okay, he established it to be a parable, to be a picture, to show forth the plan to unite his own son with his treasured people, his bride, the called out ones, the church. Marriage, therefore, therefore is not principally, principally about love and commitment and pleasure and procreation. It is about those things, but not principally. It's principally about Christ Jesus and his sacrificial, union, sacrificial love for and union with his church and the church's love for and willing submission to Christ. So it's very important that we get this. And that's why we took all last week to establish that because the degree to which a wife willingly and respectfully submits to her husband and the degree to which a husband Will, willingly, lovingly, and sacrificially leads his wife and family is largely based upon the degree to which we get the foundational truth about marriages, and that is that our marriages preach the gospel. Our marriages preach the gospel. 
So today, we want to look at the roles here that Paul lays out. And we'll start with the wives. We'll go in the order Paul goes in here, okay? Now, husbands, don't be elbowing your wives as we go through this section of Scripture. Because you know what Paul did? He gave three verses to the wives, and he dedicates six verses to the husbands. So your turn's coming, all right? So as we talk about submission and what that means, hopefully we get a biblical picture here of the glory of these roles that God has established. So the first point I give you, and I meant to break up your first point and the sub-point, but they'll both be up here on the screen. But the first point is this. Wives revere Christ by willingly, respectfully, and joyfully submitting to the husband's leadership. Wives revere Christ by willingly, respectfully, and joyfully submitting to the husband's leadership. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this word submission carries a lot of baggage, so we need to unload some of that baggage today. So before we go any further, let's speak a moment about what submission is not, okay? Okay, submission does not mean inequality or inferiority. That's not at all what the word submission means. The wife is equally created in the image of God, equally loved by God. If she is a Christian, she is equally redeemed by Christ. If she's a Christian, she's been equally enlightened by the Spirit of God. And gender equality is one of the things included in Paul's list of barriers that have been brought down by the blood of Christ in Galatians 3.25. Submission, submission, therefore, is not about equality of value. And that's why I used um, that illustration with the, the dollar and the quarters. But it's about roles. Roles that God has set up for the home. And these roles are divine callings, divine job descriptions for our good and for His glory. And therefore, they are not to be made light of. They are important. Submission is also... Okay, that's what it doesn't mean, inequality or inferiority, but it's also not mindless obedience, cowering servility, or slavish silence. It's none of those things. Her submission is done willingly. It says, Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. It would have been perfectly acceptable in Paul's culture to say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. That would have been perfectly acceptable in Paul's culture. But Paul, like Jesus, was actually revolutionary in his view of women. He understood that women needed to make that choice, that willful decision on their own. And he calls them to willfully submit to your husbands. He speaks directly to them. Paul expects wives to do this not begrudgingly. The wife who submits outwardly, but in inwardly grumbles in the heart is not in alignment with this text. Her submission is to be done willfully. Her submission is also to be done respectfully, willingly, respectfully. It says at the end of the text here, the, the, near the end of the passage, it says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect is an important part of that submission as well. I've had a chance to meet with different families and different couples over the course of 
being a pastor for several years now and knowing just the nature, human nature and the struggles that many couples go through, that one of the things that many men feel slighted at is they don't feel respected in the home. Frankly, I think a lot of men don't understand what biblical respect is, but also there is a problem sometimes when a woman is submitting but not doing so in a respectful manner. It's part of that begrudging submission. Okay, I'll obey this text, but I sure don't like it. But before we go any further, let us define submission, and that's why I have it up here. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and carry it through according to her gifts. I got that, uh, that uh, definition directly from the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Their definition is spot on. I can't add anything to it, take anything from it. I love that definition of submission. It's the divine calling. It's a job description. It's what wives are called to do. It is a good thing. It's a divine calling for a wife to honor and to affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Ephesians 5.22 tells us it's a divine calling because it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This phrase, as to the Lord, does two things. First of all, it puts a glorious stimulus behind the submission, a purpose behind the submission, because it's a divine calling. But secondly, it puts a limit on the scope of the submission. So let me talk about both of those. First of all, it puts a glorious purpose or stimulation behind the submission as the wife sees her role not just as something she has to do, but as a divine calling, a divine obedience to her Lord, Jesus Christ, a joyful obedience to Christ. Her service isn't just to her husband. When a wife submits to her husband, it's not just submission to her husband that's happening there. It's obedience to, love for, joyful uh, submission to Christ Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And this is his command, his imperative to the wives. Submit to the one, Jesus says, that I've placed over you as head. Do it because you love me. So, first of all, in the, as to the Lord is the motivation, the stimulus behind the submission, but also it puts a limit to the scope of the submission. And what I mean by that, because this phrase teaches us that the woman's primary allegiance is to Christ Jesus. Submission, therefore, is limited by her lordship to Christ, by her submission to his lordship. The husband's headship comes second to Christ's. And the husband is not sinless and infallible. Christ is. I don't know, wives, if there's any sinless or infallible husbands out here. I doubt it. No, I know there's not. The husband will make mistakes. The husband will sin. And she is not to follow him and therefore sin. He is not to lead her into sin and she is not to follow him into sin. The husband's leadership should therefore invite, that the role of the husband's leadership should invite the woman's input, the wife's input, shaping, wise counsel, and even correction when needed. Let me say that again. The wife's role, or the husband's role, should invite the wife to give input, shaping, wise counsel, and even correction when need be. This is because the wife has been created to be 
a helper, his helper. She gives input. She gives counsel. She even corrects because her calling is to support him and to see him succeed in his calling. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For, so we get into verse 23 and we see for. Here's the reason. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For, the reason for her divine calling now follows. And it says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Therefore, her divine calling is to submit because he has a huge calling that he must undertake. She then honors that. She affirms that. She supports that. She helps make sure that his role happens. She was created from the very beginning to be his helper, to help him carry out his role. And he has been called to headship. And she's been called to make, help make sure that happens. I mentioned earlier that submission is not slavish silence. Okay, a, a wife who is Honoring and respectfully submitting to her husband is not a woman of slavish silence. She gives input. She gives um, correction if needed. She, she helps shape the direction of the family under his leadership. Obviously, I think this goes without saying, it's not nagging or manipulation or, or needle picking. But women often have, at times have better instincts than men. Women see red flags that men do not. I have personally Messed up so many times because I have not heeded the red flags that God has given Heather. She will say, Steve, I don't know about this. Or I don't know about that person. And I'm like, come on. It's no big deal. Especially with people. You know, she, can, she senses red flags. I just don't know what their intentions are in that. And I'll say, ah, it's all great. And then six months later, she'll say, I don't know if you remember. I told you that I had some red flags about that person or, or what was going on there. And that's me failing to understand that God has given her a role and he has gifted her, he's given her talents and abilities to help me lead properly. Women oftentimes have better instincts than men. A woman should share her concerns and her disagreements in a way that helps to refine and strengthen the husband's role. Even when she's in disagreement with her husband, or even when she cannot follow him because of his sin, she still should do so, she should, still should act in a submissive way. She should disagree in a submissive way. Submission has as much to do with tone and disposition as it does with actions. We learn that from 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, now stop right there. We know that submission is not slavish obedience because Peter doesn't want wives to then begin to disobey the word. Well, I guess you just disobey the word because your husband's disobeying the word. Go right ahead. No. He still calls for the wife to submit, but to submit in such a way that the following happens. Look at what he says. He says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so, the wife's role is not this slavish obedience, but this refining and strengthening support. And even when the husband goes off the reservation, sins, and messes up, 
the way that she doesn't follow his lead into that sin can be done in a submissive and respectful way. Submission is a disposition to yield to, to recognize, and to honor the greater responsibility that God has placed on the husband. And she does so because he too, he too has an even greater love and an even greater allegiance, which is to Christ. Remember that the wife is imaging forth something much greater here. She is a living parable of the church's love and submission to Christ. Therefore, the wife should take her cue from the church. How does the church do this? Okay, the church does not serve Christ begrudgingly, but willingly, willfully. The church is not coerced, but it does its service out of love. The church does not act mindlessly, but with minds enlightened and hearts attuned to and on fire for Christ, we serve, not sheepishly, but boldly. The church finds its purpose and its meaning in submission to Christ. The church finds its joy in submission to Christ. And the church communicates that joy. And one other thing. The church's submission to Christ is sweeping, comprehensive. And yes, wives are to model that as well. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything. Okay? I can't make Paul say something he didn't say there. He said in everything. It's a comprehensive, sweeping submission. And wives, your submission preaches. Wives, you are teaching your daughters what type of wives to be. And your son, what types of wives to marry. But more importantly, you are teaching your children how the church submits to its Lord. And submission is no light matter. Your submission to your husbands preaches. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this. She said, we are called to be women. The fact that I'm a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. But the fact that I'm a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. For I have accepted God's idea of me and my whole life as an offering to him of all that I am and all that he wants me to be. Now here's a fact. Many or most women, if they're unhappy, okay, they're not unhappy because we husbands won't lead, but vice versa. There are some women who are unhappy because they're in marriages that where the husband is a controlling and abusive and there are some women who are unhappy due to the fact that though their husbands are leading, they do not wish to follow their husbands. But I believe most women are unhappy because the men simply aren't leading. And therefore they can't carry out their role and be fulfilled in that role. Because men are not leading. So now husbands, let's turn to us. And let's let these words convict us. Husbands revere Christ by sacrificially, lovingly, and joyfully leading their wives and homes. Husbands revere Christ by sacrificially, lovingly, and joyfully leading their wives and homes. Husbands are called to headship or leadership in the home. It's a divine calling, a job description. Just like submission, there's some things that leadership is not. Headship is not domination, controlling manipulation or intimidation the man who leads with this sort of way the man who lead, the man who leads with domination and controlling and manipulation is juvenile in his faith 
he has failed to grasp leadership and grossly distorted the type of leadership that Christ modeled. Headship is not a right to be taken by husbands to rule and control, but, res- but a responsibility given by God to love as Christ loved. Christ-like meekness is therefore needed. Meekness is not weakness. Christ-like headship okay, expresses care instead of control and responsibility instead of rule. Headship involves honesty, sensitivity, care, protection, courteousness, chivalry. Chivalry is all but dead in our age, isn't it? Okay? And I, I've laughed about this before, and I, really I don't do it like I should. Every now and then I'll remember, but I think one of the greatest killers of chivalry was the little thing that goes <whistles> for your car. <whistles> Honey, get in the car. We're going. All right, husbands, where's that walking over to the door and just opening the door instead of just tweaking the car open for our wives? Okay? There's lots of ways that chivalry has just sort of died in our culture today. Some men fail to lead because they lead out of power and control and dominance. But I think the far greater problem, especially in the church, although there's plenty of abuse in the church as well, the far greater problem is that most men fail in headship because they just don't do anything. We just don't do anything. Some of us are weak-kneed, sheepish and passive. Others are lazy and unwilling to take on the hard task of headship. And I think all men will find themselves leaning one way or the other. Controlling or passive. Controlling or passive. We're not going to hit the mark perfect because we're sinners. And so you here this morning are either leaning towards a controlling husband or you're a passive husband. I know which way I lean. And so we've got sin to deal with in our hearts. And sin to deal with in our lives in order to be the type of men God's called us to be. So let's look at what headship is. Well, that's supposed to say headship is the divine calling of a husband. So please forgive me there. I was typing these in last minute this morning. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. So that's what headship is. The husbands are to take their cue from Christ, just as the husband takes hers from the church. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And from this book alone, from Ephesians alone, we see a lot about headship, how Christ is the head of the church. So let's look at two passages. So if you've got your Bible still open to Ephesians, back up to chapter 4, verse 15. Back up to chapter 4, verse 15. And let's look at headship here. How is Christ the head of the church? It says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Jesus is the head. Into him who is the head, into Christ. Who from the, who, I'm sorry, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does a body grow? A body grows, a physical body grows, when it is fed, when it is nourished, when it is cared for. So the headship image here in Ephesians 4, 
The headship image here is of Christ supplying and nourishing the body, his church. So headship, husbands, should at least be this. Supply, provision, strengthening of your home, your wives, and your children. The second headship mentioned in Ephesians, it actually came before the Ephesians 4 passage. Back up to Ephesians 1. We'll start in about the middle of verse 20. Ephesians 1, verse 20, it says this. He raised him, him being Jesus, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in, every heavenly, in, in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when Paul says husbands should be the head of the wives, as Christ is the head of the church, and he's already given us a definition of Christ's headship in Ephesians, we should take our cue from that. What's Paul teaching us? And in this case, in Ephesians 1, the image here of headship is of Christ being the authority over the body. So headship also implies authority. Headship in the home, husbands, we are to provide for, we are to care for, we are to nourish, and we are also supposed to be the authority in the home. God has placed the husband in the role of provider, supplier, and as the authority in the home. And we accomplish this through sacrificial love. Here's the key verse for husbands in this passage, verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, if you do not feel the weight of this verse, you either, two things, either one, don't get the cross, or you're dead, or you're asleep out there. This is a huge, huge, very heavy verse. Wives, you need to understand the weight of this verse as well. Dads, just as the wives' headship, submission preaches, our headship preaches, we are teaching our sons what type of dads to be and our daughters what type of husbands to look for. But more importantly, we are teaching them about the love of Christ for His bride, His church. We're teaching them that by the way we lead our homes. There's no room for controlling headship that we talked about earlier. The headship that culture likes to caricature us with. When the culture reads this text, I think the culture thinks that there's these barbarian men with clubs hitting their Christian wives over the heads. And unfortunately, some men, some who carry the, the banner of Christ have lived in such a way and have contributed to that caricature. But that's not what Christ is calling us to here. Verse 25 is a revolutionary type of leadership that gets down on its knees and washes filth off stinky feet. The leader must become as one who serves according to Jesus in Luke 22, 26. The fall has perverted leadership and our headship. It's perverted the concept of headship in society to make it into something that's dominating and controlling when Jesus taught the opposite. opposite. Authority is established in servanthood. John 13, you know the passage. Jesus gets on his feet, puts on the slaves' garments, begins to wash filth off of the disciples' feet. 
Jesus did not cease at one moment, at one moment, to be the leader of his disciples when he did that. Instead, his authority, instead of diminishing in their eyes, I believe actually increased in their eyes. Do you think as Jesus did that, that they thought less of this man? No. As they saw what true leadership really was, wiping off filthy scum off the feet of these disciples, none of them had been willing to do it. And when they saw this willingness, this sacrifice, and which the evidence of the sacrifice would become much greater in just hours from this text, but as they see him do this, they don't think, well, he's not a leader anymore. Goodness gracious, let's find someone else. His leadership went sky high in their minds as he got on his knees and washed their feet. Husbands, our role is to serve our wives. Whether they recognize it or not, our role is to serve our wives and to love our wives and to to wash those feet. And don't think for a second that you've got to be Mr. Domination in order to have authority in your home. That actually decreases your authority in the home and it will, home, your home will slip away. You try to control it with an iron grip, it'll slip through your fingers. That's not the type of authority that Jesus is talking about. The type of authority that will make a difference in your home and cause your wife to see Christ in you is servant leadership. The husband on his knees with a towel around his waist like Jesus Christ. He must lead out of love which goes farther than just humble service. He must be willing to die for his wife. Good Friday is our ultimate model of leadership. John 13 is a great model of leadership, but Good Friday is the ultimate model of leadership for husbands. Death. This is the mutual submission in marriage on the husband's part. Okay, Paul talks about submitting Mutually submitting to one another. And then people read this text and think, well, where is the husband's submission? The husband's submission is that he gives himself up as a servant. And he wants to use his leadership as a means for her good and Christ's glory. And as Christ is the supplier for the church, so too husbands we are to be the suppliers, nourishing and cherishing our wives And our desire in doing that is to see them grow in holiness. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Christ's sacrificial love is not aimless. It's aimed at our justification and our sanctification. Our holiness was at least part of Christ's motivation. So too, husbands, we lead in order to see our wives grow in holiness. Her holiness is our goal and our responsibility. Hebrew brides would go through a ceremonial washing before the wedding night and then would be presented to the husband. Christ's Christ washes his church through the word, the Bible. The Bible is the means of sanctification. And he does so to present us to himself holy and blameless. I can speak from experience and struggle that the main way that Satan will mess up the husband's leadership in the home is to try to keep the husband 
from do, using this book in the home. Because this book right here is the means by which the husband makes his home holy. And when he neglects it, Satan is thrilled. Husbands, we should be pouring the word over our wives, over our home. And it is to our shame that we fail to do so. And it's to our wives and children's detriment when we fail to do so. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves himself, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are, his, we are members of his body. Husbands are to love as their own bodies. One of the things that phrase teaches me is that it should be instinctive. It should be instinctive. That the husband love his wife. If Christ is in us, it should be instinctive for us to love our wives, just as it's instinctive for you to love your own body. Does anyone have to convince you to eat? It comes pretty instinctive. It should be instinctive for us. How we need a movement of humble, sensitive, meek servant leaders in the church. But I don't think, but we shouldn't think that this is just some task we can muster up the energy to accomplish. The weight of this text should drive us to our knees and drive us to the cross and lead us to say, I cannot do this. I cannot do this, Jesus. How can I love like you loved? You're telling me to love a person the way you love the church. Jesus, that is absolutely impossible for me. Only you are capable of this love. So by your spirit, Jesus, I plead for you to do a work of grace in me to change me, to make me the husband you want me to be. I, and that should be happening daily, daily, daily. An improper or incomplete understanding of grace and the cross will cause, us, will cause the man who feels the weight of this passage to fall into suffocating legalism. I think a lot of men feel the weight of this text, but instead of feeling the weight of this text, and then going to the cross and saying, Jesus, I can't do this. They feel the weight of this text, and then they come up with a plan, and it becomes suffocating legalism. I'm not saying don't have a plan. I'm the, kind, I'm the type of person that errs on the side of not planning and just assuming things will fall together. Husbands should have a plan, but your hope isn't in the plan. Your hope is in the gospel. Your hope is that Jesus is doing something in you and transforming you and that you'll submit to his spirit. Remember, this is all about being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking under the influence of the spirit. So your hope is that he will take over and you beg him daily to do a work in you that you cannot do in and of yourselves. And if you're not doing that and you just got the plan, it becomes suffocating legalism. And I think that's where a lot of the control comes in. We've got to fix things. I've got to control things. So we've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. And my family can't do this. My wife can't do this. I'm going to tell her she's got to do this. And, she... and next thing you know, the, house, the family is just suffocated. Because the gospel's not there. And it all becomes about works. Headship will become that if we don't go to the cross. So I want to close with some application here. 
I want to close with some application for husbands and wives. But I don't want us to leave the gospel separate. We cannot have gospel-exalting marriages apart from the gospel. How on earth can, can we demonstrate the gospel if we're not daily going to the cross and saying, Jesus, do this in me? I don't care what book you read about husbands and wives. Read all the Elizabeth Elliot books you want to read. Read all the other books you want to read. Whoever is helping you. But the, the, the point is, you go to the cross to become a better husband and a better wife. Those, I'm saying those books can't help you. But ultimately, we have to go to the cross. So here's some application. Wives, first of all, are you aware of any way that you are making leadership difficult for your husband? Are you aware of any way in your own lives that you're making leadership difficult for your husband? If so, repent. Ask God's Spirit to do a work in you to soften your heart and make you more submissive. Husbands, are we aware of any way that we are making submission difficult for our wives? If so, we need to repent. We need to ask God's Spirit to do a work in us to soften our hearts and to make us better leaders. Submission and headship requires both. Submission and headship requires gentleness, self-control, patience. Wait a second, what are those? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Spirit's control. We need to be walking. We need to be yielded to the Spirit. We need to be walking under the influence of the Spirit. I know you guys are tired of hearing me say this because I've said it every week for the past three months. And the way we walk in the Spirit is to be in the Word of God and to be praying. Husbands, you cannot be leaders in the home if you're not in this book. You cannot lead well. You won't be able to. It'll be impossible. And wives, you cannot submit well if you're not in this book. Because submission and headship are about spirit-filled control in your life where the Holy Spirit has his way in your life. And the way the Holy Spirit, the way you're filled with the Spirit is to be in the Word and to be praying. So if you're not doing this, then guess what? Submission is going to be terribly difficult. It's going to be difficult anyway. But without the Word, it's going to be impossible. And headship is going to be impossible if we're not in the Word of God. Here's another, I'm going, to give, I'm going to give myself a task. It may make us all uncomfortable. I'm going to give you a task too. Here, wives, I want you to say to your husbands, it doesn't have to be this week, but sometime, ask this question. Honey, if you knew that I wouldn't become angry, okay, how would you honestly evaluate my submission to and support to your leadership? And then the second question is, what is one way I can grow in this? Husbands, here's your task. Sweetie, if you knew of, if I knew, if you knew I wouldn't become angry, how would you honestly evaluate my leadership and care for you and the family? And what is one way, only one way, sweetie, what is one way? I can only take it one way at a time. What is one way I can serve you more faithfully? I think if we got in a habit of asking those very meek, humble questions to one another, we see a lot of problems go away in our marriages, mine included. 
Humility is needed. Because when you hear it back, when you hear the response, (laughs) you need to take it in humbly. And then take it to the cross. Mutual recognition of and carrying out of our roles in marriage makes it easier for each other to carry out our roles. Yet if the other spouse is not carrying out their role, it doesn't excuse us not to carry out ours. Let me say that again. Mutually, when mutual carrying out of the roles is happening in marriage, it sure makes the other role easier. But when one is not doing their role, it doesn't excuse the other person from not doing theirs. In other words, wives can't say, well, I'm not submitting because he's just a bum and he's not leading. And, and, and husbands can't say, well, I'm not going to lead anymore because she doesn't let me lead anyway. It, it can't happen like that. So mutual recognition of the roles, following, off, following out of the roles, it, it makes it easier, but it doesn't limit it. Submission may involve much hardship. Leadership may involve much hardship. And so we lean on Christ to strengthen us for the task Humility in marriage, not perfection, is what we want to see. Faithfulness in marriage, not perfection, is what we want to see. Perfection will not happen on this side of eternity. So let me finish with this, though. Talk about that mutual submission. Godly spouses find their joy in the joy of the other. Okay? I got that from my favorite preacher. Who, who would speak like that? John Piper. Okay? Christian spouses find their joy in the joy of the other. Isn't it obvious that the church finds its joy in her submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? So the wife should find her joy in the submission to her husband because her submission is ultimately designed to help her husband succeed in his role as the head. And thus it's a win for him and it's a win for her. But Paul's even more clear with the husbands. Let's look at these verses one more time and then we're closing. He who loves his wife loves himself For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Yes, husbands, your joy is found in her joy. Do we want to be happy in our marriage? Then we should passionately pursue our spouse's happiness. This is not narcissism being taught. But the deep truth that we husbands find our greatest joy in marriage when she finds her joy. Why? Because she is one with us. We are one flesh, just as Christ and the church are one body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our marriages are weak and flawed, but we are to take them seriously. And to work on them earnestly because they reflect a marriage that is not weak and flawed. The marriage of Christ to his church. Let's pray. Your heads bowed and eyes closed and we get ready to sing a closing song here. And I think about the illustration there at the beginning. We are very different husbands and wives. Very, very different But our biggest difference is in these glorious roles that God has given us. And those roles are meant to complement one another. And we will only find fulfillment in marriage when we're carrying out our roles. But we cannot do it apart from Christ and the work of His Spirit in us. So let's beg the Spirit to move in our hearts right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You and we ask that You would 
do a work in our hearts. God, I think if every man in here were to be honest, he would acknowledge that he's woefully incompetent as a husband. All of our struggles are different. One man might struggle with control. Another man might struggle with passivity. But we all have struggles. We all have weakness and failure. Now I think if the wives would be honest in here today, they would all say that they struggle with this submission. Some of it may be culturally driven. We live in a culture that equates submission with oppression when that's not at all what it is. And so some of it may be cultural, but I think we also just have wives that struggle maybe on two fronts just like men struggle. Some may not want to submit and want to control, want to manipulate, want to dominate their home. Others might be struggling in the area that, well, they just act like little obedient slaves. They're not doing what they need to do to help their husbands succeed. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you would, first of all, number one, expose sin, because all of that's sin. When we don't line up with your word, it's sin. It's simple. We don't want to just call it something else, call it shortcomings and weakness. Let's call it what it is. Father, we know it's sin. So forgive us of our sin. And God, we ask that you send your spirit into our hearts in a fresh way. Fill us. Let us walk under the influence of the spirit. Because only then can we be good husbands and good wives. So spirit, have your way in us. I pray, Lord, that you'd expose sin in each one of our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would take this message seriously, that we wouldn't just go back and say, ah, life is normal. All of us have some way we need to respond. Something that needs to change in our hearts. So God, I pray for you to do a work in this church. I sincerely believe, Lord, that our church will only be as strong as the families are in this church. And it starts with me and Deemer. And if our homes aren't strong, then how can we expect to call other homes to strength? And so God, I pray that you would grant Deemer and I grace to be the husbands we need to be. And um, fill this church with strong homes. But God, we've seen too many fall apart this year. Homes that are close and dear to people in this church. We've seen them fall apart. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. And lead us, Lord, in your way. Cause us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. And at the end of the day, when we see some triumphs and some successes, <laughs> we can just give all the glory to Jesus. Because if we led our homes the way we, we thought we should, and if wives submitted the way they thought they should, well, then we would all mess it up. Holy Spirit, take over in this church and take over in each one of our individual hearts. We ask this in the name and the power and the glory of the Son of God who is coming back to receive His bride, the church. We pray in His holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.